your source for all the latest Batman news related to movies, television, merchandise, and video games. Thanks for making the Batman Universe your ultimate source for Batman news. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Podcast, episode number 82. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Melinda. And this is John. And we are bringing you the latest movie, merchandise, video game, TV, and general news from the last couple months. Apologies, first off, for being a little bit absent from the from new episodes over the last couple months. There was a number of different issues, including personal and business reasons why we didn't have any new episodes. But uh, as John put it during our communications before, just pretend we're Young Justice and we are put on hiatus. So we are back and we are going to be debuting a kind of a new format for this episode. We are going to no longer have a specific feature that we talk about. We're going to spend a lot more time talking about the actual news for each section and talking about and discussing different variant things within the actual news categories. And the other aspect is we're going to spend a lot more time talking about listener Q&As as we're hoping to get a lot more fan interaction for future episodes. So we're going to answer some fans' questions in this episode that were posted on the last one, as well as any communications that were sent to us, either email at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net, Twitter, or Facebook about the last episode, or just various questions related to the Batman Universe that you would like us to answer. So that is all dependent on, of course, you, the fans, listeners, listening to the podcast, sending us correspondences either at our email podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net through twitter facebook or our comment section on the actual episode post on the website we will review those every single episode and we will talk about those questions every single one so it could be about pretty much anything we'll start talking a little bit more about comic stuff on this podcast as well if those questions presented since i'm the only one from the comic cast who's actually on this show it's nice to hear from john who does bat books for beginners and melinda who's not on the comic cast their opinions of what's going on in the batman universe as far as the comics go as well so just be sure to send us questions and we will make sure to answer those questions the reformatted segment of the podcast the other small little side note ahead of time is starting next month the episode will post on the first friday of the month rather than in the first week of the month that way we can get the news to you a little bit sooner than it would be but that also means a little bit of the news from the very last part of the month will not be reported but the important thing is a good majority of the news will be reported ahead of time and you will get the episode one week earlier so be watching for the new episode as of march 1st so with that let's get straight into movie news our weapons are precise and quiet in time i will teach them to you but for tonight you will rely on your brains and your fists tonight we are the law tonight i am the law 
So over the past couple months, we've had a number of different things happen related to the movies. Talked in the last episode about Batman the Dark Knight Returns Part 1. Obviously, that is available on Blu-ray and DVD, as well as digitally online. So you can check that movie out. So what else has happened? Well, The Dark Knight Rises is actually released on Blu-ray and DVD. That was in the beginning of December question that I'd like to present is, is the DVD slash Blu-ray copy worth it, or is you, the listeners, waiting for the Ultimate Collector's Edition that's supposed to be collecting all three Nolan films scheduled for fall of 2013? I'm definitely waiting for the collection, like for the Ultimate Director's Cut trilogy, because... I have patiently waited through the first two films, and when it wasn't immediately announced with the last one, I thought, well, you know, we know it's coming, so I've gotten the stripped-down, bare-bones versions of each of the the DVDs, so I really haven't seen a whole lot of the special features. To me, it's not worth getting, you know, The Dark Knight Rises in the special format, because it's going to be the only one in my collection in that format, and that would drive me as a as a collector nuts so i completely am waiting for the director's cut trilogy i think if you have already got the special super duper blu-ray editions of the films individually to be honest there's not much point in you buying the special version i don't think that they're going to put anything extra on it aside from perhaps nolan explaining how he came up with the ideas about the trilogy his overarching plans for the trilogy, what he wants the trilogy to say. And if you like that kind of stuff, that's that's great. Then I'd probably get that. But if you've already got it, then I, I personally wouldn't bother. I'm not going to bother getting it. Okay, so personally for me, I do have the special edition Blu-ray that they released, but I also will be getting that trilogy when that is released as well. But the big thing is, in my mind, is that, like John, I don't think that they're going to actually be including very much more than what we've already seen. They've done this in the past where we can look at, and this is a little bit different because this is a live-action movie and I'm comparing it to a Warner Brothers animation project, but we can compare some of the Batman animated series that they have released as complete collections over the last couple years And they really didn't include that many more special features than were originally released. There was like one or two or three that were added on that were filmed specifically for the special edition. But for the most part, there wasn't that much more. So I think with the trilogy, there will probably be a little bit more than one, two or three. But I think the big thing is that as a collector, I want the trilogy... And I would like the trilogy in Blu-ray with all of the same format, but at the same time, I don't think there's going to be another trilogy for these films released altogether for quite some time after that that collector's edition comes out this fall. So, personally, I'm in the park of I'm going to have both regardless, but at the same point... And I I don't think there should be that more. I don't think a lot of people should expect there to be that much more special features. The Blu-ray edition was chocked full of a bunch of special features. Some of them we already hypothesized were going to be part of the special features, such as the Batmobile documentary that was released on the CW back in July after Comic-Con. I don't think that 
that that was planned and just said, hey, let's do this. And then after the fact, they said, let's put this on the Dark Knight Rises Blu-ray. I'm pretty sure it was, let's film this because we can add this as a special feature. So ultimately, the special features, there was there was more on the Dark Knight Rises than there was on the Dark Knight, and even more than Batman Begins. But at the same point, there were so many different special features that were released comparison to the last few that I can't see how many more they actually could release when they release the trilogy. So we'll just have to wait and see. So then besides that, the, uh, there really wasn't a whole lot of other news related to the live action. There has been constant rumors about Joseph Gordon-Levitt being Batman in the upcoming Justice League film, but there is no confirmation on that whatsoever. As far as other movies, uh, the Justice League movie... As of now, scheduled for a release of in 2015, but again, there's not a lot of details that we already know about that. Moving into the animated side of things, we did have the new Batman The Dark Knight Returns Part 2 release the end of January, and if you haven't seen it, you need to go see it because I personally thought it was great. Not a huge fan of the second part. I did enjoy the first part, and I think because I had really low expectations for it. I, I don't really care for the original story, so to me, liking the first part was really just a pleasant bonus, but I don't... I really didn't care for the voice cast for the Joker. I was really excited because I like Michael Emerson. I thought he did a great job on Lost. I thought he's, you know, he's a really good character actor, and it really bothered me, his performance in the first half of the movie as the Joker, so... And that, I felt, was kind of a pivotal role, and to me, it Felt like he really did drop the ball. If you remember all the way back to September, I was pretty damning of The Dark Knight Returns Part 1. And I have to say, The Dark Knight Returns Part 2 is so much better. It pretty much does everything that the first one should have done. The artwork is gritty and dark. They haven't shied away from Frank Miller's admittedly fairly right-wing message uh, that's that's in there so it's kept its teeth in that regard the cast have got so much better especially april winter who's gone from sounding like she comes from eton to actually sounding like somebody who's 15 who's been on the streets who's been neglected who's been ignored and it's it's such a step up i felt michael emerson is I'm actually a very, very good Joker. I think for fans who expect the Mark Hamill crazy, dark, humorous kind of Joker that, that we're so used to, it's you have to really understand it's not going to be the same. The, this Joker is it, you know is a Joker that's been without Batman for for quite a long time, for I think sort of ten, fifteen years. So he's going to have to to be different because he's not had somebody that he relates to. So he's going to be pared down. He's going to be less grim, less... Uh, he's still dark, but there's less that happy, over-the-top counterbalance. But I think he does it very, very well, and he's he's probably the highlight of the film. Although I do think Peter Weller once again, is incredibly disappointing in this film. I have never heard somebody sound so bored in my entire life. And 
one example is if you watch the I Am The Law speech, if you look at the, the, the great orators of our times, Roosevelt, Kennedy, Churchill, Barack Obama, Hitler to an extent, they carry people through and they, they draw them along with emotions. And if I was in that crowd and Peter Weller gave me a speech, I'd have left just purely out of boredom because there is, he just doesn't convey anything emotionally at all. And it's just so annoying. But other than that, I think it is a brilliant, brilliant film and well worth people's time. I thought overall the movie was great. And I think it was ultimately the film actually moved up to probably the number two spot to my best of animated list because I thought the first part was good and I and I praised it greatly but I think that this one because it was the conclusion to it and because it had the Joker and Superman in it I think there was more to it than just Batman fighting the mutants so I really like this movie and I think that if you haven't seen it or purchased it you definitely should you should be checking out the Batman Universe commentaries this month in the month of February as we will be releasing the commentary for this film. And uh, also, I forgot to mention, we do have commentary for The Dark Knight Rises also available now on the website as well. So if you haven't checked that out, you can check that out as well. We're hoping to release the commentaries for the films within a month after that they, they actually release on DVD and Blu-ray. So be sure to be subscribing to the Batman Universe commentaries. So then moving into the other movie we've got on the plate right now is Lego Batman, the movie. And this movie is actually releasing on February 12th. And the premiere is taking place in New York on February 11th. And Steve J. Rogers from the website is going to be attending the premiere and reporting on it on the website. So you can be on the lookout for that on the website. I don't have very high expectations for this film because I I really think it's going to end up being all of the cutscenes from the video game put together and basically released in a movie form compared to just having to sit and actually play the game. I'll be interested to see if it actually is different and how much more there is, but I don't have super high expectations for this film because I just don't foresee it being that that uh, informative. I think I read somewhere that they were adding a few scenes and reanimating some of the cut scenes, but this, this to me just seems like they're trying to expand the Lego Batman brand beyond what it what it really should be, which is you know a game and merchandise. The movie itself, I don't really know what age group it would appeal to because it seems like it'll probably be a fairly simplistic story. I would imagine that, you know, small children who are fans of Lego City and Lego Ninjago are probably going to go nuts for it, but I don't think it really adds anything to my enjoyment of Lego Batman, being as that's pretty much the only game I've played. I've bought both of the... Lego Star Wars films that they've released, which was uh, Padawan Menace and I forget the name of the other one. And I, I cannot kind of understand where you're coming from, but it, it, if if they're going down the same route as, as the Padawan Menace, it will be a, a, a really good film. It'll probably be about an hour at most, but I don't think they'll do the whole 
or I'll be surprised if they just take the cutscenes from the game and put it into the into a DVD format. That's not Lego style. It's never been Lego's style. I think this this film, based like I said on the other stuff, it's going to be there'll be in jokes, there'll be humorous bits, there'll be plenty for the fans, and it you know I don't think anybody has to to worry about it being can you know quite a juniorized film. It those films do play very well to a, a wide audience. See, the thing is, I think part of the reason why I'm in that mindset is just because there really hasn't been a lot released about this. Just as when the game was released last summer, we didn't even get any emails about when the game was actually being released. And then it was just, hey, this is out, here it is. And I was kind of dumbfounded by the fact that I really didn't see a whole lot of press for the game prior to its actual release. I saw more after it was released than before, which surprised me greatly. But the big thing is, I just feel as if that we haven't really seen a whole lot of information about this. The trailer was released back in October, and since then we haven't heard anything. Cover art was revealed, I believe, in December, and then we just found out about the premiere basically two weeks before the actual premiere. So to me, it's just... I mean, it just feels like it's coming out. I know that this is not a Warner Brothers animation project, but I feel as if it's just, it's not being publicized well enough to to have people really get excited. We haven't seen any clips from it other than the initial trailer. And normally, with most of the Warner Brothers films, we normally see at least five clips from the film prior to its release to get at least an idea of what's happening. And I feel as if that they are just basing the game's release almost a year ago as, well, it's basically the same premise of this game, so hopefully you already know about it. Well, that's the same with the Padawan Menace and the the other films that they've released, is they don't do a lot of publicity for them. The, The last... For Padawan Menace, it just appeared... It, it aired on, I, th- uh, I think it might have been Cartoon Network or Boomerang, one of the two. And it, it literally did just appear and then got a DVD release. They don't tend to publicise it ever. So I, I've not seen anything, speaking as a Lego fan, I've not seen anything that that they've done done anything differently. And I, I didn't really expect them to, to be honest. But if it's up to the quality of the Padawan Menace, Believe me, it will. You'll you'll like it. I think. Okay, so then besides that, we don't have any other real movie news. We do know that the next DC animated film is going to be Superman Unbound, which is going to come out later this year, and then the one following that will be Justice League Flashpoint, which we will obviously be covering because of Batman's involvement. We just don't know exactly how they're adapting Flashpoint for the film, if they're just going to follow the main Flashpoint series or some of the sub-series or what, because it was such a large event. It'll be difficult to figure out exactly what they're planning on doing before it's released, but I'm hoping that within the... I guess it's probably going to be a, a a little bit longer than the next few months, but I imagine this film will be released in September, so I'm guessing by... May will probably hear some things around the time Superman Unbound is released. So with that, let's get straight into TV news. 
far as TV news goes, we have a couple of different things to talk about. The first thing to talk about is Young Justice. Really, that's the biggest thing to talk about, as we have not really heard any more news about Beware the Batman as of yet. And between the last time we talked and now, all that has really happened was we had another release of a Young Justice DVD set, which includes the first ten episodes from the second season, Young Justice Invasion, that has released the the end of January, so you can purchase that if you're interested. There was a couple of interviews that were posted with the producers of the series at the beginning of January, right as it was announced that that Young Justice would be coming back on the air that weekend. And then the episodes started airing again. The first episode that aired on January 5th, this episode had Nightwing leading the team to rescue the members from the Light, the Light's partner, the Reach. Aqualad learns that the teenagers have been abducted in order to test the human's abilities to develop metahuman powers. He deduces that the Reach are trying to weaponize these powers and the aliens do not reject his claim. Blue Beetle is under captor, overhears his captor's intentions to remove his scarab at the cost of his life. Impulse eventually frees Blue Beetle, revealing that in the future, a Blue Beetle has taken over Earth and enslaved mankind. Miss Martian counters Aqualad for the first time since Artemis' death, and in a rage, telepathically attacks him, leading her to discover the truth about Aqualad and Artemis as double agents. This leaves her in shock, and Aqualad in an apparently catatonic state. The team battles face-to-face with, with an agent of the Reach called Black Beetle, who savagely beats them until Blue Beetle in- intervenes. Once everyone has been rescued, the team makes their retreat. The Reach has reached out to the United Nations and has embraced the public much to the irritation of Nightwing and the Justice League. G. Gordon Godfrey comments on this, stating that, that they use the front door unlike the alien members of the Justice League. Elsewhere, a large fleet of ships belonging to the Reach lie in wait on the ocean floor. It's a very interesting episode. This was an episode that clearly goes straight back to the last episode of uh, that we saw back in October called Darkest. This episode had all kinds of stuff happening. I really wish that Cartoon Network had had chosen to air it back in October because this was a perfect breaking episode. This was absolutely a wonderful cliffhanger point. You know, so much had happened. You've got Aqualad left in a catatonic state. You've got the Reach kind of finally coming out publicly and the always wonderful G. Gordon Godfrey, Tim Curry, really using the Reach's public appearance to say, hey, you know, I don't like the Justice League. I'm going to push my agenda. These guys came up and greeted us, used the front door. What does the Justice League do? You can't trust them. So I I thought this was a really good episode, if a poorly timed as far as airing episode goes. Yeah, I agree. I think anything with, with Tim Curry in is, is brilliant. He He really adds to the whole thing his character is very funny very interesting the reach declaring themselves publicly as well i think was an interesting way to go because we've seen in a lot of alien films that they tend to turn up blow stuff up and it's really easy to identify the bad guys and i think by having 
the Reach integrate themselves and come into and declare themselves openly as allies, it makes it harder for the for the Justice League and for young, the team on Young Justice to to identify the bad guys and to work out who's who and and what's going on. And it makes me wonder whether maybe we, you know we're going to see much more infighting within the team and and also more pressure from outside on on the Justice League itself to to disband or to to change really. Alright, so then the next episode that aired was called Cornered. This aired on January 12th. Despero, on the advice of his assistant Elron, sets his sights on Earth's champions. He attacks the Hall of Justice while the members of the team who used to live in the cave are at the Hall to remove their belongings. Maul, Duncan, becomes the new Guardian in order to help in the battle. Elsewhere, Captain Adam attends a private meeting with the Reach ambassador and Black Canary interviews the team members and teenagers abducted by the Reach, including Ty Longshadow and Virgil Hawkins. The Reach ambassador uses his technology to remove the dome Despero had created around the hall, but exposes the existence of the Watchtower to the public, which G. Gordon Godfrey uses as ammunition against the Justice League on his show. Miss Martian decides to take up residence at Martian Manhunter's apartment, where Connor confronts her about her strange behavior during the battle. Meanwhile, Black Canary shares her deductions about the Reach with her teammates. Against the wishes of Impulse and the Scarab, Jaime informs the League about his role in the Reach apocalypse of Bart's time and asks that they find a way to get the Scarab off him. This, to me, was an episode that was almost as if this was another... It was starting the next story arc, even though the entire series is a story arc, but kind of setting up the next story arc with the Reach Ambassador and things like that. It also foreshadows the events that involve the teenagers that were kidnapped by the Reach, and we'll learn more about those in just a couple episodes. I was really half and half on this episode. Like, half of it, I absolutely loved. The parts that involved the Reach and involved specifically Blue Beetle and Impulse, with Impulse actually agreeing to keep Blue Beetle's secret, even though he doesn't know what the catalyst for the Reach apocalypse is, and he doesn't know what makes Blue Beetle actually turn. I thought that was really very trusting of him. The half with Despero fighting with everybody was really, just to me, extremely boring. I didn't care for it at all. It didn't really feel to me like it advanced anything. As much as I did like his majordomo, Elron, I thought the whoever the voice actor was there did a really great job in kind of making this very subservient little alien. So, great job there. The rest of that half, not so much. Yeah, I agree with Melinda. I think this episode, to a large extent, kind of felt like filler. It was sort of there to... And as you guys said, if they'd broken, actually, at the end of For the Dawn, that would have made a great end point, and this would have worked as a as a standalone episode. I think there were some good bits in it. I think that seeing more of Gan's relationship with Connor and her starting to face up to the fact that she's just destroyed Aqualad's mind. And 
as far as I can tell, has learned all of the stuff that Nightwing's been keeping secret from the group and how she doesn't feel like she can tell Lagoon Boy, who is now her new boyfriend, but can turn to Connor. And I think that's a very interesting relationship dynamic. And it would be interesting to see the reasons why they broke up and what went on and whether actually they will get back together. With the Blue Beetle stuff, I thought was, again, very, very interesting. With him coming out to the group as a whole and saying, you know, it's me who causes this apocalypse, it makes me wonder whether they're going to play up or whether they're going to use Blue Beetle's actions um, as as the creation, uh, creating it. It's going to be him who, who does it himself through his own desperation to not become the the thing he wants to to stop um, in a kind of Anakin Skywalker storyline. He's going to make all the actions that ultimately lead him down the path where he commits them, but he's going to be led down that path because he's trying not to do them, which could be a very interesting way of doing it. All right, so then the next episode that aired was January 19th called True Colors, Bumblebee and Adam tried to remove the scarab from Jaime's back, but the defenses are proven to be too strong. Robin, Blue Beetle, Impulse, and Arsenal are sent undercover to investigate LexCorp's new partnership with the Reach. Crop additives being tested in Smallville. Sportsmaster requests payback against Black Manta for what happened to Artemis, only to find out the Light expected him to be disgruntled and replaced him with Deathstroke. He flees, and later Vandal Savage calls in Simon to try to salvage Keldor's mind for Manta. At the LexCorp lab, the team procure a sample of the Reach's work, but Arsenal blows their cover, and they end up fighting Black Beetle. They are saved by the Green Bleedle, a Martian who chanced upon a scarab like Jaime did and now wants to help stop the Reach. Lex Luthor and Vandal Savage meet to discuss the break-in, and that the team did not discover the true purposes of the lab, which involves some reach chemicals entering the food and drink supply. Luther suggests that they put together their own team of young enforcers. So this episode, there to me, again, it was it was kind of like on and off. There wasn't a whole lot to me that was very important. the The big thing is we find out. The, the small things that are important to the future of the storyline are almost kind of obscure and you don't you you have to really be paying attention to really keep track of what's going on the reach chemicals is a very important thing they they didn't really focus on that too much but th- that's part of the overlying storyline and this green beetle who for whatever reason just pops out of nowhere which to me just seems a little too coincidental one thing that really struck me when watching this episode was in the tour, you know, of course, G. Gordon Godfrey is out front saying, you know, everyone is, they're being super open and they're honest and they're letting people in. It's all about, you know, being visible. Inside, of course, the tour guide is stopped by one of the farmers who says, you know, they're going to put all of us small farmers out of business, which is always a concern of, you know, small, smaller farmers who don't run factory farms. And she's very quick to say, no, they plan to, you know, provide their techniques to you guys. Everybody just wants to work together in this. And that would go a long way in building goodwill with small-time farmers. And, yeah, that's that's not a huge 
population demographic, but it's sometimes a really important one to reach. And so the reach managing to try to kind of smooth things over with them, that was that was a hugely good move on their part. And the fact that they were, you know, very much up front and saying, no, no genetic tampering, blah, blah, blah. You know, they're, they're probably lying, but that's the kind of message that, of course, they would want sent out. And being saved by the green beetle at the very end, that was really interesting given what, of course, we learn about him later. But at the time, you're thinking, oh, this is really great, you know, someone who can help Jaime, and if if he's able to fight like this with his scarab, maybe he can teach Jaime to do that too, and they won't need to kill him to remove the scarab. I, uh, again, agree with the whole openness about and exchanging the technology again it it seems to me like this is playing out as they're going to really work public opinion on their side and and do it in a way that's sort of a a secret takeover there's a a fifth column element to it through sort of running through the reaches program and I, i do again wonder whether this is something that they'll that they'll they'll run with and that you know the the apocalypse is going to be brought on by both the young justices infighting and problems but also through people thinking that the reach are actually better than they are all right so then the next episode is called the fix and this aired on january 26th Tigress intervenes before Simon can enter Keldor's mind and discover their secret. She drugs him, but he discovers her true identity before passing out. She persuades Black Manta that she ought to kidnap Miss Martian in order to force her to fix the damage she has done. Manta sends Deathstroke to accompany her. Meanwhile, Miss Martian determines that Green Beetle is an ally, and he states that the energy drink created by the Reach contains chemicals that will eventually addict the population and make them incapable of revolt, as well as a tracer that seems that seeks out the metagene. The goon boy privately confronts Miss Martian about her behavior, but is interrupted when Deathstroke and Tigress attack the pair and take Miss Martian hostage. Board Black Manta's ship, Miss Martian and Artemis work on fixing Kaldor's damaged mind, and in spite of some resistance, they make progress. Miss Martian states that the process could take weeks, however. Nightwing reveals the truth about Aqualad and Artemis to Superboy and Lagoon Boy, both of whom are outraged. Elsewhere, Jaime Reyes convinces Green Beetle to modify his scarab, and is ecstatic when he finds out that the scarab's voice has been silenced. So this episode was kind of interesting because of a couple things. The beginning, Simon finding out who Tigress really is, I found that kind of interesting because the drugs that she uses on him are only going to last so long. So from this point on, how long is this actually going to work out where we see the entire situation lying out where Simon doesn't reveal who she is, number one. Number two... I thought Nightwing having to reveal the truth about Aqualad and Artemis to Superboy and Lagoon Boy so they so that they would stop kind of being so upset about what was happening. Kind of interesting because it just, again, shows that Nightwing, he really is a younger version of Batman. Yeah, the, the Nightwing revealing the truth only when it served a purpose was a bat move through and through. So I loved that. I liked the the battle with Deathstroke and Tigress slash Artemis 
and Miss Martian and Lagoon Boy because, you know, you've got two friends who are fighting each other and making it look extremely realistic to the point that it, it has to fool Deathstroke, which is not a super easy thing to do. So I really admire both of them because obviously they're both doing it for the right reasons. They want to help Aqualad. Uh, like Dustin, I'm I'm curious as to how long this coma is going to last for Simon and whether it means that Tigress has to keep dosing him with whatever that drug was, whether that will ultimately harm him, whether she makes the choice to do that in pursuit of, you know, keeping him occupied and keeping him away from her secret. The scene where McGann mentally kind of goes through Green Beetle's mind and determines that he's an ally, it's very clear how uncomfortable she is with that. And it was almost upsetting to watch because you can tell how much of an invasion she thinks that is, even though he's said, you know, it's fine. And it really sets up how, how she's realizing, you know, how powerful she really is and how much damage she can actually do. Cause she already feels incredibly guilty. She was hesitant to make that attack a few episodes ago and she's hesitant even to use it for good. So I think that's a nice lesson that she's been learning for the past few episodes. Yeah, again, I agree. I think these last few episodes really have been much more about McGann and Blue Beetle, and it's really been their story arcs. It does make you wonder how much actually the Green Beetle told her when she didn't want to to read his mind and whether he's able to hide things from her or whether it's it's a good thing that she's that unwilling because it just allows him to just project certain thoughts and that's all that, that she can read. But in the same way that she's been so affected by this that she doesn't want to do anything, even simply mind reading. And it's it's really interesting to see her actions come back to affect her and to affect other people as well because sometimes that's not really anything that you see in cartoons or in television in general, people's actions coming back to haunt them later. And I think that's a very interesting storytelling device and an interesting story arc, and I I want to see more where it goes. And again, with the Blue Beetle letting the Green Beetle fiddle with his scarab, certainly left me questioning, well, is he actually a good guy? How much is Jaime's actions bringing about the the reach apocalypse because he's so desperate to silence it so desperate not for it to happen has he now made these these events actually come into being and has he done something really stupid in a way and again i think it's a very interesting story arc and a very interesting way of of telling the story and and something we've not really seen before so then the last episode we're going to talk about was called Runaways. It aired on February 2nd. Four of the superpowered former Reach abductees consisting of Virgil Hawkins, Ty Longshadow, Asami, Sam Kozami, and Eduardo Ed Dorado Jr. escape from the League's Teo space after being put through endless training exercises, much to the objection of Neutron. Nightwing sends Blue Beetle to track them down, and Jaime reveals the secret identity to them in order to get them on his side. Meanwhile, 
The Tayo space comes under attack from Red Volcano, who has come to steal the Amazo body parts. The runaways follow Blue Beetle back to the Taos to rescue the endangered civilians, ranging from Eduardo Dorado Sr., David, Dr. David Wilcox, Burton Thompson, and Neutron. They are unnerved by Jaime's apparent disregard for the lives of those caught in the crossfire. After the fight, they evade Jaime, who is caught up talking to the press. On the roof of the Taos Pueblo, Jaime talks to Green Beetle about the battle. Black Beetle then arrives and compliments Green Beetle for reprogramming the Blue Beetle to completely take control over Jaime's body. Elsewhere, the runaways are confronted by Lex Luthor, who planned Red Volcano's attack and the sudden press arrival, and Mercy. Lex offers to bring the runaways under his wing. So the most interesting thing is it's revealed the names of these runaways. We kind of already caught on. Virgil Hawkins is in fact Static Shock, as we've seen in various incarnations in the past. But the other three people are even more interesting to people who have been watching the DC animated shows for a long period of time. Tai Long Shadow, Asami Kozami, and Eduardo Dorado. Those are basically characters that were created during the Super Friends run in the 1970s. Tai Long Shadow was the Apache chief. Sami Kozami was Samurai, and Eduardo Dorado is El Dorado. These characters were all created during the time of the 70s, where it was, it was claimed that DC didn't have enough racial diverse characters, so Hanna-Barbera actually took it upon themselves to create these characters and put them into the shows to make the show more racial, racially diverse. So it's interesting that the producers for Young Justice actually incorporated these characters who have had appearances here and there within the DC Universe, but have never really been prominent characters. They were prominent in their roles in Super Friends, and that was about it, but they've given them a role in this in this series, and because it takes place on a different Earth, you know, they can do whatever they want and still have, you know, still make the story make sense, and I think it was a great way to do it. I had a feeling that these people were, were somebody. I didn't catch on to it until the na- names were actually revealed during this episode who they were. But then it started to make sense when I saw their their powers throughout the rest of the episode. It made perfect sense. So I think ultimately it was this was a great episode just for the easy throwback to the Super Friends. I didn't actually catch on until I was reading more about the episode, who those characters actually were. And thinking about it, yes, I probably should have recognized some of them, but... Of course, I didn't, so that made the discovery later on really something kind of fun. As far as this episode goes, I enjoyed it. I liked it right up until the end, at which point I was angry about the rest of it. I liked that Jaime chose to reveal his secret identity to get the trust of the four runaways, because that would absolutely be how you how you get someone to trust you. You know, you take off your mask. You say, look, I have nothing to hide from you, so we need to work together. The part where Blue Beetle was talking to the press very, very much reminded me of Booster Gold in the series 52, which I think was interesting because there's another part of this whole storyline, and that's the Reach kind of seeking to activate the metagene in people. That was really reminiscent of the Lex Luthor Everyman project, also within the 52 storyline. So it makes me wonder if they're taking stuff from there and if they're picking and choosing and what else I might actually end up seeing from there, particularly the fact that Lex Luthor is putting together his own youth team. Like, we've seen that happen before, and we've seen it 
we've seen it happen to devastating consequences. So I did like that Lex Luthor, you know, just out and out lied to the teens, though, and said, yeah, we think that the Reach might be uh, might be using us for nefarious purposes, when in fact he knows darn well that they are. And of course, the revelation that Green Beetle reprogrammed the the Blue Scarab to take over Jamie's, or Jaime's body completely, that, that was really upsetting because that was someone that Jaime really trusted and really kind of looked up to for guidance because he doesn't have a mentor. He doesn't have someone who previously held the scarab because, of course, Ted Cord is dead. So it that I found a little upsetting and a little unnerving to be to be in the show, but I understand why they did it and what it's building towards, so I'll accept it. Yeah, I think the one great, ultimately great thing about this series is that they've not been afraid especially in the second series, to pull in new characters. And I think that's really, really good because they're not just leaving it as the Young Justice and characters, sort of established characters we already know, like Batgirl or Tim Drake as Robin. They're bringing in, in, in for me, more obscure characters. Now, obviously, I knew about Static Shock, but beyond that, I didn't know who those characters were and I, d- I did have to kind of look them up afterwards to work out who they were. But I think that's a nice touch. And I also think that it was a nice touch of seeing the Amazo body, which obviously relates into Batman under the Red Hood. It's nice that you could kind of think that they've been trying to tie this into into all the other animated episodes and animated films that they've done to create their own kind of little universe and I think that's really clever intelligent storytelling and not something that we see that often in a lot of shows and it shows that they're really thinking about where they want to go and they they genuinely care about the story that they're telling and creating this world Alright, so those are all the episodes As of now, we do know that the episodes will continue to air through the month of February. Uh, That's as of what we know now. But the big news for Young Justice was January 28th, it was announced that Young Justice is being cancelled. Now, you may remember back in May, we kind of called this and we told you it was very likely it was going to happen. We were expecting some sort of announcement at Comic-Con. That did not happen, and basically, Cartoon Network revealed their lineup for 2013 to 2014 and both Young Justice and Green Lantern the animated series are no longer on their schedule. It's not really a big news. The big news is really that fans are pissed that the series is being canceled, but at the same time there's some petitions online and there's groups online that have formed to kind of petition that Young Justice get brought back. Um, All I have to say to that is it's very unlikely that's actually going to happen. I don't want to dwell on it, but basically the show's going off the air because of what we said back in May. The merchandise has not sold. Tell has canceled all the Young Justice toys. And because the merchandise didn't sell well enough for them to warrant continuing the merchandise, they basically decided to pull the plug on the series, which is truly unfortunate, but it's the way that... Unfortunately, the media businesses work nowadays. The other aspect of this is that 
Warner Brothers and Cartoon Network basically said that the episodes would continue to air for weeks to come. So based off the current episode count, I'm predicting that the season or series, I guess, the series finale of Young Justice will actually air on March 16th. So there's not that many episodes left. So the question is, how are they going to wrap up all of these storylines that they have created over the past multiple years? And the other thing to discuss is, why do you think ultimately Young Justice was canceled, if not for the merchandise? Well, I think that, yeah, shows like this definitely are not as dependent on ratings as they are on merchandise sales. But truthfully, I've never once run across a piece of Young Justice merchandise. And it's not necessarily for lack of looking. Like, my friends and I will go to Walmart, we'll go to Toys R Us, we'll go to, like, other big box stores. And even in the comic stores where you would expect to see it, nothing. I've never, ever run across it. So I don't know if it was a supply issue if it was, you know, what they chose to market. The only thing that I ever remember seeing was when Young Justice kind of first was airing, McDonald's had a line of toys, and it, that was it. It was in their Happy Meals. And so, I mean, I have all of those, but I didn't even get the option to pick up other Young Justice toys. So I think that availability played a huge part in it. I agree. Uh, You know... Mattel do a terrible job of advertising their products full stop if I mean I don't know how it is in in Canada or in the US but if I want to find even the most basic of Batman figures I have to make a two hour round trip to Forbidden Planet to to get to get it and that's nonsense if you're trying to sell a product it should be in the stores and you should be advertising it on television and it should be there in your face all the time because otherwise people won't buy it people won't even know it exists so you can't then act all surprised when things aren't selling but i don't necessarily think that's entirely the only reason it's cancelled young justice i think is a very dark intelligent show it's aimed at a slightly more adult audience teenagers that kind of thing i don't know necessarily how happy people would be showing it to say a five or a six-year-old with beware the batman we've also been told the same thing that this is something very much for teenagers for an older audience it's going to be dark it's going to be gritty it's it's not going to be batman the brave and the bold and i wonder how much they looked at and thought we really don't want two teenage adult shows clashing and trying to take merchandise off each other. Now, I agree, which is probably why you're all screaming, it's a stupid reason, but ultimately, for them, it must make business sense. And I think they've probably told Young Justice quite way in advance that it's going to be cancelled. When you look at the jump that we've taken from season one, which was Robin, McGann, Artemis, Superboy, Aqualad, to 40, 50 characters, we've obviously missed 
two seasons in the middle, and I I wonder whether they told them, hey, it's going to be cancelled. So they went, well, we're going to scrap the two middle seasons, and we're just going to jump right to the very end. That's actually a really good point. The Young Justice Legacy video game, they have said, is supposed to fill in the blanks between that five-year time frame. But I'm wondering if that was actually more of the idea of, hey, the series is only going to get two seasons, so whatever you're going to do with the second season, you just need to know that it's the last season that you're going to have. And then they changed it and jumped five years in, in, into the future. Because that'd actually be a, not a bad idea if they really wanted to get their ultimate story told. And I think that that's actually probably a really good idea that, you know, if they did do that, for them to be able to do it and still be able to tell the story they wanted to tell. The other aspect of this, to me, is I honestly, I can say flat out, I have never seen one advertisement for one Young Justice toy ever. And that's saying that after, before the current Mattel Batman Evergreen series that they have, which is just, it's not based off of any immediate incarnation of Batman, it's just a Batman toy line. I was I saw commercials for that series before the figures were actually on the shelves inside stores. I have not once seen one Young Justice action figure and or action figure commercial ever. And the thing in my mind is it was great because Mattel put out that when they were going to release the figures that they were going to have that collecting connect action figure set where it would create the Hall of Justice and I thought that was a really cool idea. But the problem with that is because there were so many parts, they had to up the price of the actual figures themselves, and they were almost twice as expensive as the same size figures from when they used to have the Justice League Unlimited figures at stores. They're almost twice as much money because of that one piece. And unless you're a collector who's actually going to build the entire Hall of Justice, that piece means absolutely nothing. To me... The entire process of what Mattel's been doing the last couple of years, I haven't really liked at all. I don't really like what they do as far as how they package, how they get their stuff to the actual vendors. Because to me, or the retailers I should say, because to me it just seems as if Mattel is working on this process of, of they have to meet a specific sales quota and as long as they meet that sales quota then they're content and then that's it. If they don't meet the quota then they're doing something wrong and they'll cancel it. And I say this because for the last couple action figure lines that Mattel has done, as far as Dark Knight Rises Movie Master figures, the Batman Legacy figures, even currently with the Batman Unlimited figures that they have now, I have not seen any of the Batman Unlimited figures, and they were announced, I think Toy Fair of last year was the first time we heard about them, or maybe it was Comic-Con. Maybe I'm getting it confused, but I know it's been a while since it was first announced. I haven't seen one of those figures on the shelves. I know the announcements was that the second wave was supposed to be releasing early this year, and I haven't even seen the first wave anywhere. I don't like that I have to go to Toys R Us, and that's the only place I can ever actually find any figures, because whenever you go to Target or Walmart, and I don't go to Walmart that often, but whenever I go to Target, I never see any action figures on the pegs. They never have enough of them, and if I do, I only find the most common figure, Batman, or a figure that I, you know, I've had for months upon months. 
I understand that the way they package their stuff inside of boxes that get shipped to the retailers is, you know, they have the most popular character as the majority. So if it's a case of, let's say, 10 figures, five of them are probably going to be Batman just for the Dark Knight Rises action figure line. That's what I'll refer to. They'll probably have a couple Bane because he was the main bad person. But as far as, uh, you know, Jim Gordon, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, Catwoman, they're not as prominent in those boxes and for a collector it's great because it makes the value of those things greater but as a collector it's also a pain in the rear end to be able to actually find those without resorting to having to go onto ebay and spend a ridiculous amount of money and i know this is all about young justice and it just comes back to the point mattel has not been doing a very good job with their figures because they they focus on what will sell as you know, on a day-to-day thing. And the problem is, even when you look at the Young Justice action figures, the way they were released, the first wave did not consist of the most popular characters. There was characters like Aqualad, who nobody knew knows anything about, who, for the most part, just was a character who just happened to pop up inside of inside of Justice League and Aquaman before the New 52 happened, when Jeff Johns presented this new Aquaman, Aqualad, who was the son of Black Manta, they presented this, and so the character was not a character that anybody knew. You know, I don't want to make myself sound racist, but the, the other aspect is that the character is African American, and that's probably has something to do with the fact that it's not going to sell as well either. It's just that's that's just how I see the action figures being. They say the same thing about female characters. Female characters don't sell nearly as well as the male characters. Well. I can tell you from collecting action figures for the last 10 years that most of the figures that I find in stores are the abnormal characters that you never see anywhere, but for whatever reason are the only ones left. Another one that there was tons of was Icicle Jr. Why was there a thousand Icicle Juniors? Who knew about Icicle Jr. before Young Justice? The character existed, but the character was not a character that everyone was fawning over before Young Justice. So to me... Those are the ones that they decided to release. And I understand you can't release all of, you know, your main line of high-profile characters in your first wave. I get that. But the problem is that if you don't have as much of your main stream characters in those boxes, you cannot tell me that Icicle Jr. and Aqualad had less numbers in those boxes than the other more popular characters because I just don't see that possible. You know, I am not one to sit here and say that I am an expert when it comes to distribution and costs of action figures and things like that, but the reality is that I feel that they up the price to be able to have that Collect and Connect piece for the Hall of Justice, which only appealed to nobody but collectors, and collectors, as they have said time and time again, are not their main market for action figures in general, is their main audience for those figures is the mom and child walking into a store and buying an action figure and i don't know what mom and child is going to walk in and buy a 16 dollars figure that has some piece that is going to do absolutely nothing for the child unless they buy every single action figure series or every every single action figure in the series and it's not something that's just plagued mattel kenan did it when they had the the old batman line you used to get one Joker or Poison Ivy, and then you used to get six variations on Batman. And, of course, once that mother and child has bought Batman, whether it be 
the normal Batman or lava superpower Batman or Batman with power glider action super dancing powers or whatever stupid invention they came up with, they're not going to go back and buy them unless they're advertising and throwing things at them. And they just, they didn't at all. And, you know, like you said, collectors aren't a major part of the market. But adult, you know, mothers and children tend to buy one figure. They'll buy a figure for their birthday and they want it to be the main one. So just have them, you know, have the majority of the main characters in the first wave and that because that's what kids want they want robin and aqualad and maybe mcgann and maybe artemis and super superboy that's the ones that they want and they'll they'll have them and they'll buy them and if they're there at a reasonable price the kids will buy them and the line can continue and then the collectors can have all the extra stuff but if they've got six variations of Robin and one, you know, special character for the collectors, nobody's going to buy it because the adults, the, the kids will have bought the one Robin that they want and and no one's going to want Icicle Jr. or whatever it is because he's, he's not a main character. Kids don't want it. It's just probably marketing stupidity, to be honest. Well, and I think in this case, the show didn't necessarily help the merchandise along because the, sh- the first season, from what I remember, and it's been a while since I've watched it, but from what I remember, did not have a definitive villain that you could package and you could say, oh, look, you can have your Robin beat up on this guy. You can have your Aqualad beat up on this guy. Like, So they kind of just almost, it seems, defaulted to Icicle Jr., but I think he had a couple of episodes. Like, he wasn't... He wasn't a huge character, so he wasn't that important. And, yeah, he's not going to sell that well. And what they had in that first lineup, while it may have interested me, I recognize that that's not going to interest everyone. You know, maybe maybe I would have bought Kid Flash or Speedy, but I probably wouldn't have bought Aqualad. And that's because the introduction that I had to him in Brightest Day was, well, he's Black Manta's son, that's that. And so I went into Young Justice saying, well, he's Black Manta's son, that's that. Yeah, and I think the the other part of it is also, the show wasn't necessarily, and, and, and this is not a knock against the show, because I don't think in any way, shape, or form a show should be putting themselves out there as a show that is just about being able to make merchandise. Batman Brave and the Bold, as as great as there was some episodes there, that show was blatantly designed for, not, I shouldn't say it was designed, because I'm sure the producers weren't creating the episodes and thinking to themselves, hey, this will make a great toy for Mattel to make. But at the same point, a lot of the weird and crazy stuff that happened Batman Brave and the Bold was completely in context of the show, because everything about that show was crazy and out of place, but it was basically made Mattel able to create all kinds of weird and crazy things related to those action figures. And even though that show was off the air for two years, they still had action figures in the store last year. So it's not as if that series wasn't successful. And yes, you do have the argument of Batman does sell better than the other stuff, the other random superheroes. And I and I agree with that statement wholeheartedly. I'm not going to sit here and debate that. But at the same point, 
the show was not designed for an action figure line to be popped up right away. And then you have to look at it from the aspect of Cartoon Network put that show on hiatus after, what, first eight episodes? Within the first eight episodes, what villain was there really to, to do? I mean, they, they've been talking about the light for the entire series, and the light is made up of pretty decent villains, but the problem is that the show does not focus on those villains that much. Recently, they've been focusing a lot on Vandal Savage but and Sportsmaster, but for the most part, Sportsmaster was the only villain that actually appeared in those first eight episodes which could actually be pulled into the action figure line. Sportsmaster is not a great villain to be the main villain either. And I say this because... I have never actually watched the original Teen Titans TV series all the way through all five seasons. I've seen episodes here and there, but I've never actually seen it all the way through. And recently, my son has been watching Teen Titans, and we started with Season 1, Episode 1, and we're almost through Season 2 at this point. And the overlying villain throughout the entire series so far is Deathstroke. Deathstroke is the villain for the Teen Titans, which makes sense when you compare it to the actual source material in the comic books, but there's an actual overlying villain where if they had action figures, Deathstroke could be the main villain. He appears through multiple episodes, he orchestrates certain events that other villains are involved in, all of this. Because Young Justice had the light, and the light consisted of all these villains, but they don't directly have a part in the actual episodes, it's it didn't do them any favors for that. But the other aspect of it is, how do you get behind an action figure line that that is based off of a show that only airs eight episodes and then goes on hiatus for six months, then comes back, airs eight more episodes, then goes on hiatus for another six months? I mean, think about it. At this point, it was three years ago that Young Justice actually started on the air. And we haven't even gotten through 50 episodes of the series in three years. So Cartoon Network, I think, ultimately is the biggest to blame as far as the show constantly going on hiatus. And I don't know if that has to do with changes because of the New 52 and DC dictating certain things need to be changed or what that caused all the hiatuses. But the hiatuses, I think, were the biggest downfall of the series because the show was created to actually work around a very very sequenced storyline and if you don't watch the, the episodes in a row well then they don't work as well as if you watch them in a row and i think cartoon network looks at a series like that and says you know what we're not going to air repeats of the series because it just uh, it, because it's too much in sequence and people are going to get lost and i think to me that's a huge downfall cartoon network is the number one to blame Number two to blame would be Mattel with the entire marketing of the merchandise that was available um, as far as the action figures go. They were the second to blame as far as their planning on, and marketing for the actual line. So if anybody wants to point the blame, don't point the blame at Warner Brothers. They're a company who has to make money regardless of what the product is. And Young Justice just didn't make the money. But ultimately, I think Cartoon Network and... Mattel are to the blame of why of the why the series is is has been canceled. Well, and I was just looking back at that first season. There were two different hiatuses in that first season. First one was for you know five months. The second one was for two or three. So you want to know why your show is failing? You you're cutting off its legs. Like you're not airing it, or when you are, 
you're taking so long between episodes that, quite frankly, people have lost interest. I wonder as well how much it's to do with who it's marketed at. Teenagers, which is what who I think the the, sh- the show Young Justice is marketed at, don't tend to buy action figures and things like that because they're going through that. Oh, I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to try and be cool and fit in with my friends. Um, and and whilst they may watch the show and enjoy it, they might not necessarily go out and buy it, and they don't really have the purchasing power to to go out and buy the figures themselves, but they don't want to sort of press their parents for it because they, they want to be seen in a certain way. Whereas something like Teen Titans or Batman the Brave and the Bold was aimed at a quite junior audience and you know they're going to pester their parents for the toys, but they also see the world in very black and white terms. So... You know, they know that the Joker's the bad guy and Batman's the good guy, and that's their set villains. Whereas, because this show was trying to be intelligent and not pandering to the most common denominator, like, say, Honey Boo Boo, it, it, it was kind of a victim of its own intelligence in a way. And the sad part is, if this is what we have to look forward to with TV series in the future, is basically shows that are not intelligent because they have to create shows that are just pandering to, you know, the stupidity of what society is nowadays. That's not looking bright. You know, if I compare how many TV shows I watched 10 years ago to how many TV shows I watch now, it's actually quite disturbing. There's less TV I watch because of how horrible TV in general has just gotten. And a lot of that has to do with the reality shows and these, you know, ridiculous shows that focused on stupid people and things like that. I just, I just don't feel as if, I mean, I understand majority of the audience is, you know, they want this weird and stupid crap. But the problem is that I just find myself looking at this stuff and thinking this is really, really bad. And it's almost sad because I'm thinking to myself what are we going and, and, and we already know what's coming next we know beware the Batman's coming next which is is supposed to be another dark take on Batman which I'm not going to have anything to knock against it until it comes out and I could end up praising it because it's really good they're they're definitely taking their own liberties with that show but then the other show is Teen Titans Go which the only promotional stuff we've seen from that is it's that it's based off of those shorts that have been during DC Nation, which largely focus on their absolute love for food and their, you know, the weird, crazy stuff because they're teenagers. Not so much about them actually fighting villains and things like that. And for the longest time, I just thought, well, that's pretty much what the original series was, too. They talked about food. It had the, you know, the odd Japanese animation style that I'm not a big fan of. But watching the series now, I realized that there actually was stories that continued on with the whole Deathstroke element and things like that. There was things that continued on, and I just remember watching the the video that we did at Comic-Con last year when Stella interviewed the producers for the upcoming Teen Titans Go! and them just talking about basically all of the different foods and bodily noises that they could make because they ate those foods, and that's what the series was going to be around and thinking to myself this is what we have to replace Young Justice with because 
It's just too smart for the audience. I'm a fan of a good scripted show because I don't think there's a particularly large amount of entertainment to be had from exploiting hillbillies. So I, I loved Young Justice. I thought it was so well done and so intelligent and something that, you know, maybe I wouldn't necessarily show to all five and six year olds, but that's the kind of show that I would have loved to have watched when I was five or six, certainly to sit down with a parent and, and watch it and, you know, ask questions and, well, what's going on here? Why is this happening? I think that it provided such, such a learning opportunity and, you know, it, it allowed you to kind of play detective and things like that. And so I'm really not excited about Teen Titans Go because I have watched the original Teen Titans, I think it was canceled for a reason. I think that it was not necessarily a great show. So if that's the one that they're marketing to young children, that to me is really no better than than some of the other kids shows that are on there. You know, they don't they don't teach kids a whole lot. So I, I'm really hesitant to sign off on the new series that are coming out if they mean that Young Justice is being canceled in favor of them. The thing is, I don't think that Teen Titans was actually canceled. I think it just, it was like Batman Brave and the Bold, where they said it just ran its course and they had enough episodes in the bucket so that they could have the show go into syndication, and that was what they were aiming for. And honestly, that's what it seems as if they've done with a lot of the shows that they've produced, is once they get that magic number of about 50 episodes, I think it's 52 episodes in the bucket then they kind of just decide, okay, we're going to move on to something else. Because there was the same case with Batman Brave and the Bold. Justice League had, when you combine Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, they had over over that number. Teen Titans had over that number. The Batman had over that number. And The Batman had just as many seasons as Teen Titans. But I think that, I, I'm not debating that any of these shows should not have gotten canceled. I think that ultimately... You do need to, you know, after five seasons, which can translate on Cartoon Network to, you know, who knows how many years, but after five seasons of a show, you know, you could actually, that could take a decent amount of time and you could, you know, be into a different generation of viewers where, you know, it's important for you to change the product that you have to change for a new audience. And I think that's a great idea and I think that's a good thing. But I think with... Um, Young Justice is just I looked at this as this was exactly what I liked about Justice League and Justice League Unlimited where it was the large group of DC characters and they had the overarching storylines and things like that and it was really interesting and it's just it, ultimately it's just a shame that the show is being cancelled but they're hopefully beware the Batman will come sooner rather than later and we'll be able to be talking about that show and Hopefully it will be just as good as Young Justice. With that, let's get into merchandise news. Attention, attention, family. Cheese stopped by high time prices. Holy feline, Batman. Hold off the customers, Catwoman. Yeah. Listen, folks, only as sellers are you protected by... The law of Toyland. Nobody beats sellers' prices on toys. Nobody. Not very much merchandise news to talk about. There is a couple of things... The very first thing to talk about is uh, in December, Mattel revealed that they are in fact releasing merchandise and action figures based off the 1960s Batman TV series, 
which it was hinted at back in back at Comic-Con and we reported that back then but since then they have revealed that they will be releasing action figures and if you are listening to the podcast now you should check out the website cuz Toy Fair it has happened and we should have photos from everything that was revealed at Toy Fair and including pictures of Mattel's 60 series toys so be sure to check that out in addition to that there has not been any other action figure lines that have been announced with new waves i'm sure next month we'll have a lot more to talk about after all of this revealed at toy fair and convention season starts picking up as far as big merchandise announcements toy fair is pretty much the biggest one up until about comic-con when mattel reveals more but between Toy Fair and Comic-Con, the only other one that Mattel attends is WonderCon, and last year they didn't reveal that much. So Toy Fair is the biggest time to actually get a lot of the news about the actual merchandise. So then with that, let's get straight into video game news. Had you ever considered that all this is your fault? Your presence creates these animals. As far as video game news, we have two games that we know that are coming out. Injustice Gods Among Us, which has a number of different trailers that have released since the last time we talked with you guys. And you can check all of those out on our YouTube page as well as the website. In addition to that, we also know that Young Justice Legacy is supposed to release sometime in February, but we don't know very much about it. This game has also not gotten very much publicity, specifically due to the fact that they probably have known that the show was getting cancelled a long time ago, and they have just been putting it out so that Warner Brothers didn't waste the money to put the game out in the first place. So we don't have a lot of information other than it is supposed to be coming out within the next month or so. So be sure to check out the website for news related to that. Injustice, Gods Among Us, to me, looks like I think it was created by the same guys who did Mortal Kombat. And that's what it reminds me of. It's just two characters beating the crap out of each other in an arena. And that's great because a lot of people really like that. And I think that's fine. It just does not appeal to me in large part because... As I've always said, I don't really play them, but I enjoy watching other people play games, and that does not seem like a game that I would enjoy watching. I like a game with a lot of story to it. So I'm thinking that there's going to be a lot more in the Young Justice game for me to kind of watch and to enjoy. And so that's one that I'm excited about, because if it is, in fact, bridging the the five-year gap between Season 1 and 2, that's something that is very relevant to my interests. Injustice Gods Among Us, not so much. I think if a Young Justice bridges the gaps between Season 1 and 2, I think that could be very interesting. It certainly seems like it's going to with the list of characters that they've released. Whether it sells that well, I must admit I'm not entirely sure that it will do. I don't think it's going to be anything that's sort of up there with Batman Arkham Asylum or... Arkham City, that might put a lot of people off, especially if it's quite cartoony in feel. With Injustice Gods Among Us, I'm actually quite excited about this game. I think that there's going to hopefully be an interesting storyline. From what the trailers have said, it certainly seems like there's going to be one. It's quite clear that the Joker's done something, and this has turned 
Superman and Wonder Woman to much more the Injustice League that we know from the comics and from the the TV uh, film did. So I think if it if it has a good storyline, it could be in very interesting, and it could be a lot more than sort of people, as Melinda says, just being the living snot out of each other. But hopefully, it, you know, it, it will be good. Fingers crossed, anyway. So then, the as far as games that we that haven't actually been announced in January, there was a, a post that popped up online of a bunch of domain names that Warner Brothers registered after the first of the year. And a lot of these hint at the sequel to Batman Arkham City. Some of the names include Batman Arkham Universe, a ton of different variations of that specific title, as well as a bunch of other possible titles as well. So I'm expecting sometime around the summer, either Comic-Con or shortly thereafter Comic-Con, I think we're going to hear an announcement about the, the upcoming sequel to Batman Arkham City, and I think that we're probably going to see that released fall of 2014, which seems like it's a ways away, but for Batman Arkham City, they did a decent job of releasing publicity for that game throughout a good chunk of a year, so I think that we'll probably start, we'll see the initial announcements probably sometime July, August, if not then then it would probably be December since it, the Video Game Awards has host has, has premiered the first trailer for Batman Arkham City in the past. I could see that happening if it doesn't happen earlier than that. And then the sequel coming out fall of 2014. We don't know anything about this game. There's been rumors that it could be a prequel and, and focus on more of the Silver Age Batman and teaming him teaming up with the Justice League. The other possible possibility is that it, the Arkham Universe, as far as Arkham City expanding and becoming larger, but again, how, we don't know exactly how that would actually work out. There's all kinds of different things that they could do as far as expanding Arkham and, and involving some more DC characters, since that seems to be what they have they, what they want to do recently with a lot of the different projects if they expand arkham city to arkham universe i will be extremely curious as to how that happened i have thoroughly enjoyed watching these games be played i think the story that goes along with them the animation everything about them is is pretty flawless i have no issues with waiting another two years to see a game as long as it's you know, it's worth the wait, and I have no doubt with the Arkham titles that it would be. They have consistently released a quality product, and I see no reason why that wouldn't continue in the future. The only thing that I worry about with any potential future Arkham insert, whatever here, is it, it's going to be a victim of over-expectations, which is going to affect it quite badly in the same way that we sort of saw a slight backlash against the Dark Knight Rises because of the same thing and I don't want to see people put off because some people think that it's going to be something that it isn't and then do that typically reasonable thing of lash out and get angry then they shouldn't be so entitled it's the internet. <laughs> I know, I realize no that's... 
It's kind of a stupid thing to ask, but I can dream. All right, so then with that, that is all the video game news. Silly punks, Batman owns the night. Now taste fear, you... Wait, wait, what? Oh, God! Oh, my back just snapped like a pack of uncooked spaghetti! Oh, you just walk up and break my back without saying a word! Oh, boo! Boo on you, sir! As far as general news goes, we really have only one thing to talk about. In January, there was an auction for the original Batmobile from the 1960s TV series, and it sold for $4.6 million. It actually set a record for the highest price ever fetched for a TV movie vehicle. Needless to say, if I had $4.6 million, I don't think that I'd spend it on that Batmobile. Because personally, I don't like that Batmobile, but I could probably find a gazillion other ways to use $4.6 million. Or at least 4.6 million ways. I like the style of that car, not necessarily as a Batmobile, but just as the style of the car. Because to me, it brings back like watching American Graffiti and just loving the vehicles in that but that being said, $4.6 million is a lot of money. So if I had $9.2 million, sure, I wouldn't mind spending half of it on that. But I can't say that that is what I would blow the bank on. All right, so that is all of the news we have. Let's get into our listener Q&As. <laughs> first one that we're going to talk about it comes from the website and someone asked what are some things that you specifically like that everybody else hates about batman and what are some things that you really like about batman that everyone else hates so i'll go first one of the things that i i don't think that a lot of people necessarily hate people don't necessarily or don't have it as their favorite is uh, batman beyond return of the joker it is in fact the number one animated film in my mind that was ever made specifically because i like the aspect of it dealing back with the history of batman the animated series and dealing with events that happened during that but also tying in Batman Beyond, it was almost as if it was continuing the story, the original story of Batman that we saw in Batman the Animated Series. I know a lot of people like the movie as well, but the other aspect of it is things that I really do not like, but people really do like, would be Mask of the Phantasm. I, I enjoy the film, it's not a bad film, but I, in, for most people that I have come across, their top Batman film, animated-wise, has always been Batman... The Mask of the Phantasm with Batman Beyond Return of the Joker either number two or somewhere else on the list and to me Batman Mask of the Phantasm I think is a good movie but ultimately I don't think it's the best movie there can be for a couple of reasons one the the main villain in that movie is is Andrea Beaumont as the Phantasm and I don't think that's a great villain how can you really compare her to the Joker I think part of the reason why that film is so high on so many people's lists is because the film was originally released in the theaters when it released in the early 90s in addition to the fact that it plays into the fact that it is the original Batman the Animated Series style and I think that holds a lot of a lot of people to a specific degree as far as what is their favorite so for me I don't think it's a bad film but I, I just I don't like it as much I think as everybody else likes and just another example, way back when I was much younger, 
when Batman and Robin first came out, I really thought it was a great movie because I thought that all of the gadgets and stuff were the coolest thing ever and thought it was awesome. Fast forward about six years from when I first saw it to the next time I saw it prior to, this was obviously prior to Batman Begins coming out, I thought it was utter crap like everyone else. But uh, when I first saw it, I thought it was a really good movie and could not understand why people disliked it so much because I was so young and, I guess, uh, so vain in the fact that I just didn't understand why people could hate it so much. Things that I really, really like that other people maybe dislike or even hate. I'm a huge fan of both Judd Winnick and Kevin Smith's writing on Batman. And I know that that is not necessarily the most popular opinion. But the reason that I like Kevin Smith, at least, on Batman is because when I pick up one of his books, I'm not really picking it up for Batman. I'm picking it up because I know that Kevin Smith is going to introduce you know, some humor into it. And that's something that you don't necessarily get a lot of during other writers. I know that he has a huge amount of respect for that character. I know that he actually, you know, really loves the character. He makes reference to him in most of his films. So I, I enjoy reading that slightly humorous take on Batman from time to time. I wouldn't want to read him, you know, every month, but I definitely enjoy it when I pick it up. And Judd Winnick, I think he writes some really, really fantastic dialogue. A lot of that's what she says, and I also really enjoy those. So I I recognize that they are not everyone's favorite, and I understand why they're not everyone's favorite, but there are two writers that I read fairly early on that I just thoroughly enjoyed every time. So, And something that I really dislike that a lot of people love would be the work of Frank Miller. I don't enjoy his writing. I don't enjoy his storytelling style. His art style really bothers me. There, When it comes to his books, there's very little that's redeeming for me. And a huge part of it is that he seems to have a real problem with just women as a whole. And typically, I don't get up on this type of soapbox. But he writes it to such an offensive point sometimes where all women are prostitutes all women are mean, all women are vicious, all women are lesbians. Like, for him to consistently write that, that makes me think that he actually does have a problem with women, period, full stop. So I, you know, I respect that a lot of people enjoy him, and I would never try to detract their enjoyment of him. It's just something that I really don't feel like I need to read or need to support. So I'm going to complete the holy trinity of writers everybody else's despise but I really like and say Tony Daniels. And I know he's been slated pretty much everywhere, including on the comic cast, where I believe his leaving the detective comics was met with parades, bell ringing, joy. But I think he's an underrated writer. I think he does have problems. Yes, I wouldn't deny that. I think his insistence on introducing new characters can be very irritating but at the same time i think he's someone who understands batman and he understands his mentality and how he works and i think a lot of the time he conveys that i also think that he's a long-term writer he's well known for writing for 
trades, and that comes across a lot in his writing. He'll drop threads, pick up threads, and they'll be months apart, but he will get round to, to picking them up and and doing them. I think people just need to be a bit patient with him. He He does get there. As for something that I hate, that other people love, Dustin, I'm going to warn you now, you're probably going to get a lot of hate mail when I say that I absolutely hate the Court of Owls. Snyder is a great writer, don't get me wrong. His Joker storyline, death in the family at the moment, is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Black Mirror, fantastic. The Court of Owls was awful. It was, to me, essentially just a League of Shadows rip-off with a little bit of, oh, they've been around for hundreds of years, can you spot all the owls? in all my panels thing and it it just got boring very quickly and I don't think it was anything new or exciting or special in any shape or form I'm going to send the first bit of hate mail on that one just so you're warned Dustin Okay. our next question is from a listener who emailed us way back in October and unfortunately, we're just getting to it now because this is really the first episode we've recorded since then. But the question was presented as Josh, Zach, Nick, or Apple ever coming back? They are awesome. Well, hopefully, Charlie, you got that question answered when you listened to the five-year special that we released on the Batman Universe specials. All of those people that you mentioned were actually present for that special and talked about their reasons for leaving Batman Universe in the past. Josh is actually has not left he's just he does he does stuff behind the scenes but the rest of them have moved on to other projects but if you are interested in hearing more about that be sure to check out tbu's five-year anniversary special that posted at the beginning of january over at the batman universe specials the other question he asked was who do you consider the overall greatest villain in batman's rogues gallery other than the joker for me it's easy ra's al ghul well for me my favorite villain outside of the joker would have to be kind of a toss-up between the riddler and the and ra's al ghul ra's al ghul i think is is a really great villain because he is such he's more on a global scale than all of the other villains he has a purpose that doesn't always necessarily involve Gotham City or Batman but sometimes Batman just happens to get involved with it so because he's the he ha, he's a villain on a global scale compared to some of the other Batman villains he's up there too but the Riddler for me I always like the intelligent side of Batman and how it's not necessarily presented that well inside of the comics. Batman is, you know, not only is he the greatest detective, but he's also supposed to be, you know, a genius and he's supposed to be really smart and he's invented all these different things and created all kinds of things and outsmarted much, you know, people that you would assume would be much smarter and, you know, he's been prepared for basically everything when he goes into battle and things like that. And I think ultimately the Riddler kind of challenges Batman's intelligence side more so than the chaotic side that that Joker does or 
the physical aspect that Bane does. I think the Riddler is more about the intellect. I'm really looking forward to see what Scott Snyder does with the Riddler in this uh, next story arc that he's working on, where the Riddler is supposed to be the prominent villain, because I think the Riddler has kind of been neglected for really a decent amount of time, I'd say, since Batman Hush was released. Since then, he really has been neglected, turning on to the side of, you know, being a private detective was a cool idea, and trying to, like, solve cases before Batman was a good idea, but I just don't think that they executed it very well. And then, just over the last couple years, he hasn't really been used other than, like, a supporting character here and there. And I think that a really good story where he can actually challenge Batman's intellect would be amazing because instead of, you know, all of the, you know, smash him up and punch out people's teeth issues that we see almost month to month, it would be nice to see Batman have to fight somebody on an intellect level instead. And so I'm really looking forward to see what Scott Snyder's done, but that's also why Riddler would be up there for me. Kind of like Dustin, my choice is based on intellect and and the difficulty that would present rather than brute force. Uh, my pick would be Two-Face because this is clearly someone that, you know, Bruce knows in his personal life and has known in his personal life, uh, leaving the movies aside. He, he does still know Harvey Dent as the district attorney. And Harvey just has some truly sad elements to him. And I think that's what makes the best villain is someone that you're not a hundred percent sure the entire time if they're a villain or if they're not, you know, clearly he's, he's mentally ill. He has the compulsion with his coin. He's got so much going on that I think it's very easy to dismiss him as a villain sometimes because he's not always presented in the most serious light, but he's really a mirror of what could have very easily happened to Bruce. You know, he had a very traumatic thing happen and he was very much on the side of good and he was very much dedicated to cleaning up the streets, but this one horrible thing happened and well, this is how I'm choosing to deal with it. That could have very easily been Batman. And I think that, I think that Batman realizes that. And that's, that's something that, that really scares him. We've seen that that scares him time and time again in books because he said, you know, I could kill and that would be really easy, but it would be crossing a line that I can't let myself cross because he's seen what it's done to Harvey Dent and to Two-Face. It's ruined him as a person. So I I will always pick up Two-Face stories because I think that ultimately it's really Batman fighting himself is how I always view it. Aside from the Joker, oddly enough, I think Maxi Zeus is quite a good villain. He's very quite campy, but I think that is quite a nice thing to have in a lot of Batman issues. Occasionally, you know, to go from the darkness to something quite light, light-hearted in a way. But I also think there's probably a more serious and a bit more of a dangerous side to him than people really give him credit for. Okay, yeah, he thinks he's a, a Greek god, but part of that is 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 looking at the Greek mythology. You know, Zeus is very intelligent, but can also be quite dangerous. And he he's someone I think who, in in the right writing hands, could really make an interesting storyline and also be a good match for for Batman, especially if he wanted 
you could go either way and go a bit campier or even I think bring in that grittiness and I think he's a really underused villain as well so probably not what people were expecting me to answer but I, I, I like him as a character Alright and then the only other question that we're going to talk about very briefly is Jermaine asked over on the website when is Cassandra Kane going to be in the New 52 universe well that's a great question I wish I knew the answer she'll be back when they realize that they need her which I don't know they've survived quite a long time without her I would like to see her back, but she'll be back whenever they decide the audience needs her back. Yeah, I think she'll come back when the the time is right. Uh, I'm not a big Cassandra Kane fan, but I think the purpose of the New 52 was to encourage new readers and not really try and bog them down in extra continuity and history that can for some people be quite off-putting and I I think Cassandra suffers from that issue because if they reintroduce her too soon then people are going to be going well who's she, what's she been doing why have they reintroduced her oh now I've got to go back and look at all the Batgirl issues and look at this and look at that and I've got to go all the way back to No Man's Land and and that can be quite off-putting for someone. So I don't think she'll be coming anytime soon but I would like to see her probably do something with Tim Drake and Stephanie Brown maybe in their own kind of comic book series. And my follow-up to that is when Dan DiDio is no longer working for DC Comics well, has it's Cassandra King probably has a much more likely chance to actually be some place in the new 52 universe okay so with that that is all of the listener q a's we have for this episode make sure that you send over your q a's for the next episode we uh, report on sundays so your questions would have to be in by february 24th either on the website to the pod or to the email at podcast at the net, on twitter or facebook related to this specific episode post on those specific uh, forms of, or those outlets, so that your questions can be answered on the next podcast. So with that, that's everything for this episode. Be sure to check out all of our other podcasts that we have to offer, including the Comic Cast, which this month we're introducing a .5 episodes where we cover even more comics than we have covered before, adding an entirely new episode to cover all of the extra series that we have only covered here and there in the past. And also be sure to check out the Batman Universe specials for not only the specials that you may have missed in the last couple months, including a new blooper show, some specials related to some of the graphic novels that were released in the last couple years, but also the five-year anniversary special, as well as the newest special, which is a Shipper Spotlight special, which focuses on the relationships within the Batman universe that has posted for this month in relation to the actual Valentine's Day. In addition to that, we also have added a new podcast to our lineup called The Batman Universe Taking Flight, which is a podcast that focuses specifically on all the Robins, and we bring in a new staff member for that podcast his name is tom so be sure to check that out and comment on his episodes you can find his uh, find the podcast on itunes as well as the website and 
Then you can also be sure to check out the website for all the news and editorials from the Batman Universe and from the staff of the Batman Universe. We're about to kick off a new series called Image of the Day, which we've done in the past, but we're doing it again where each staff member picks a specific week and kind of picks a theme around that specific week. So be sure to check that out on the website as well. Lots of stuff happening all over the Batman Universe and we are planning on covering multiple conventions this year, including C2E2, Comic-Con, New York Comic-Con, and even Kapow and another, another convention overseas. So be sure to have everything, uh, subscribe to all the podcasts for all the coverage, but also be sure to check out the website all the time for all the latest news and editorials from the Batman Universe. That is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Melinda. And this is John. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Send us lots of questions. I'm going to get death threats, aren't I? <laughs>